0: joining Awkward Insurance one more time. Our Awkward Insurance Facebook is growing and thriving, and if you haven't already joined us on Facebook, we'd love to see you there. The more there are of us, the better the group is going to be, so invite your other awkward people and post your favorite insurance meme today because there might just be a swag opportunity come out of it. Our exciting guest for today is Leslie Liljenberg. Did I say that right? Perfect. (laughs) Yes. Perfect. She's been in the insurance industry since 2004, started a scratch agency and grew it to over $6 million in revenue, not production, right? Revenue, right? Right. Oh my gosh. In less than 12 years, she has a bachelor's in journalism and public relations, a master's in political science and public administration. My husband's going to be interested in that one. Holds both a Series 6 and Series 63 financial license, is a Texas public adjuster, PNC, and life and health agent. A Texas real estate broker and an expert witness in insurance. Dang, lady, take a deep I'll breath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how you doing?
1: <laughs> Don't ever say no to an opportunity. I guess is what that might say. They all all kind of bled and led into one another. So all still
0: going at the same time, or these are past opportunities and you've. You progressed to some a different interest or you're still like hanging and jiving in all of those spaces? <laughs> Mainly
1: transitional. I mean, really, I came out of college and was in the commercial real estate business. That's where the Texas, the real estate broker license comes from. And I kept it. I didn't want to
0: ever let it go. Those are hard to get. So once you get them, you don't want to let they them go. I see that a lot in social media about people who have just gotten into insurance mm-hmm. and maybe they're kind of struggling to get their foot in or you know, produce anything meaningful and they'll go, I'm just going to let my license go. And almost immediately you see everybody go, no, no, don't do that. (laughs)
1: No, don't do it. Well, with the real estate license, it's even harder now. I mean, I got my sales license in 85. You had to hold it for two years before you could sit for the broker exam. But now there's a lot more requirement to it. So I I wouldn't let that thing go (laughs) no matter what. I've probably let my 6 and 63 licenses go because that was always required by Allstate, but I don't, I'm not a trader and I don't do any of that. So I'll, I will let that go soon.
0: Yeah. Hey, I have a weird question. How often do you update your headshot? Good question. Mine is very
1: (laughs) outdated and you know, I, I really think you should do it about every four or five years. That one is about, mine is about 12 years old. I'd say I have some other ones, but I, you know, I've I've struggled finding somebody to do some really nice contemporary photograph, you know, shots. And, you know, I mean, I'm 59 years old. I don't expect you to make me look 30, but it's, you know, finding the right photographer. So I actually have an appointment on Thursday with a local photographer that does some really, really neat work. And uh, I'm excited.
0: The reason why I ask is because my husband and his almost 20 year career of being in policing is going to get his first set of professional headshots today. So I've kind of been thinking about it over the last couple of days, especially with we're updating the awkward insurance tile now that uh, Ashley is part of our team. And she tried to do some awkward photo <laughs> awkward. <laughs> like, they were like, just make it look awkward. I remember having to try and make myself look awkward for the awkward tile too. Ashley, what was it like as you were snapping all these photos of
2: yourself? I have to send these photos to you because let me tell you, it's. (laughs) I really thought it'd be easy to do an awkward photo. First of all, first mistake was getting Botox and having that kick in three weeks later because I had no expression from my eyebrows up. So that was. (laughs) (laughs) So I couldn't do my typical, like, raise one eyebrow. Yeah. None of them raise. And then I'm like, (laughs) then. I think the best awkward photo that I had of the group was the one of the face that I was making when I was reviewing the photos. Cause I was like, ew. And I'm like, oh, that's my awkward face. That's
1: perfect. So you didn't have to work (laughs) at it. That was that natural. And I mean, it's, it's actually very humorous because I, whenever, no, no matter what, when I'm in a group and somebody takes a picture, when I come back, I'm always real, I'm doing something very animated. And (laughs) and I'm like, do y'all have to post that one? And they're like, Leslie, you never stop. I'm like, oh, well, okay. That's a nice point. But yeah, so it's uh, when you're animated, usually when you're not paying attention, actually sometimes when you get the better picture. Yes,
0: for sure. Right. right. Anyways, I just got to thinking about that today. Oh my gosh, I am so happy to have you here. I have been crazy interested in talking to you for a hot minute. I think every time your name has come up as we've talked about future podcast episodes, I can't wait to talk to that one. (laughs) Out of everything that you do, I am so crazy interested in your expertise as an expert insurance witness. It's just an area that has like this mystery about it because you're, I mean, as agents, you do everything you can to stay out of the courtroom and you're (laughs) like, please let me in.
1: (laughs) Hopefully we can settle them before we end up going to trial. But yeah, you know, it it was it was actually a very aha, strange. I'm a Christian. It was a God moment when it happened for me. It really was. I had my agency still and we were to dinner. We were at dinner with some very good friends, old friends, but one of our very good friends' brother came along and he joined us and we started talking and he was an expert witness in insurance. And I was I just gravitated toward it i was like you're doing what so i started taking classes through of course through seek if you've never heard of it s-e-a-k took class through seek just started working on my education understand getting a little bit better handle on the legal uh world and so i was still was i was trying to sell my agency still probably 2019 2020 didn't work out, but I um, had really already started a lot of my education and getting designations, my CIC. And then through, I through, you know through ERMI, I have my MLIS, almost sounds like real estate, and then my CRIS. And then some, you know, the public adjusting thing kind of came along as if friends were wanting me to help them on a project. So I said, well, let me get my license. I don't feel comfortable. Giving advice without having some, a little bit more substantial
0: education. you're like, yo, I'll help you, but I got to get my license first. Just hang on a minute. <laughs>
1: yeah well, it was it was uh, I was gonna do some work with them, but quite honestly, my expert witnessing and my consulting was just getting so busy that I really set, stepped aside from that and and doing my, doing my expert witnessing full time. So it, it's an interesting world. It, it's a huge change from what, from what I was doing, obviously.
0: I love that. So that's how you got started into it. You said you did the, the SEEK courses. What were those courses like? Like what that was geared towards expert witnessing? Yeah, well, they have several
1: different platforms or, or formats that's, that one of them is basically starting your practice, how, the best ways, what all you need to get set up, how you need to get set up. And then they do a course on report writing, which is very important because many people do not understand how to go in and write the reports and what, and, and all, every time you deal with a different attorney, they all want them to look a little differently anyway. So you have to learn how to adapt and change to that. And then they, they have a class called, it's about, it's a legal terms class and they offered it, but COVID kind of killed it. And I'm I'm waiting for them to come back with that one because it has a lot to do with the legal, stru- the legal structure. And that's something that I still work at trying to understand, you know, the courts and the district courts and the U.S. courts. So that's, that's, I think that's one of the biggest areas uh, that I had to learn was really, you know, all the terminology and what it meant and discovery and that type of thing. So, but it's, 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 a, it's an extremely interesting part of the industry. So I'm like, I'm like nerding out here. Cause first of all, I love
2: like true crime stuff. I love law and order SVU. Like this is, this is right up my alley. So, and I mean, obviously I've heard of people having to go and be an expert witness. Um, I believe actually my boss did that for something over in the courthouse, or maybe one of our agents did something along those lines, but take me through the process. So, so like, first of all, how does one promote themselves or advertise themselves as an expert witness without like getting some people upset about things and saying, well, why are you going against me? How do they find you and then take us through a day when you go into court? What happens?
0: Instead of just a day, how about the very first day you entered that court? Even better. Okay.
1: Well, first of all, to market yourself. I'm I am a huge marketer. I that's how I did really well with my insurance agent. I'm I'm a marketer, a salesperson. I love doing that. The first step really was getting into directories. You get your name out there. You, you know, you join a couple of organizations and you can get your name into some directories. SEEK has one. I was a member of an uh, organization called Forensic Expert Witness Association. There's just some things like that. So that, and then, you know, for me, I, I started calling on attorney's offices. I would, you know, wrap up, I've taken, you know, the old tubes and put my CV in there and my business card and locally, I just, I go and I drop them off. I'm probably a little unorthodox when it comes to that because many many people are they more look at the like oh it's it's this different world and attorneys and you don't market. Well, you've got to market. I mean, it just you can't nobody's just going to pick up you know the phone and call you or you know throw a dart at the at the board and pick you. But how I really did get started first was I I'm I do some work for a company called Robert Hughes and Associates and they're basically an expert witness brokerage house. So I'm signed up through them and then through my insurance expert witnessing. So they end up calling me when I fit into a particular case. So how does my day start? It can be a million different things. I may start my morning doing some marketing, touching base with the attorneys that I'm working with just to see if they need anything from me. So like today, I have a report due. So I will, after we get off this podcast, I'll get back on my report. Uh, There are days where I spend an entire day reading depositions. I mean, from eight o'clock in the morning till five, six o'clock at night to where, you know, I wear reading glasses to where my eyes hurt. I just read, read so many depositions and reports. And uh, I mean, and that's, you mentioned you love the crime shows and everything. I mean, there's no murders or anything of what I do, but, but it's, I always explain, it's like unfolding a mystery. It's for me, that's the. That I enjoy that. And so as I, as I, you know, get to look to see what the complaint was, then I take it to being able to hopefully read the depositions that have been taken. And so it sort of unfolds for me in front of me. And then, and then why the depositions are so fun, I guess that's kind of a nerdy thing to say about depositions, but why they're so fun is because while reading them, you start to see the contradictions or the where they come together and they say, okay, that person said the same thing happened to them. And so you find the consistencies or you find the disruption. And that's a lot of fun. T- For me, that's very interesting because I go, okay, hold on a second, you know, and I can go back and, and piece it together. Um, and from there, I, I'm hopefully really helping my, you know, the attorney that's engaged me. I mean, we we're always, we're always unbiased. I mean, you can't, you know, there is no bias. You You really, that's your main job as an expert witness is to be unbiased. You're not picking sides. You're just trying to dissect all of that information and and help the attorney. And there are times where you, as an expert witness, have to just be honest. The attorney wants you to be honest and to come back and say, you know, I'm really nervous for you here. I don't think you have a case. And I think that's the the most important thing for an expert witness is to be able to be honest and to not be so hungry that you that you figure a way out to make it work. But there are there are times where you find I mean most every time you find something and there, there's always two sides to every story and you look at both sides and that's how you weigh it out. So that's what I spend most of my days doing is weighing out the evidence and weighing out the, the testimonies and see what see see where it's falling.
2: Well, two comments on that. First of all, you said, Oh, that sounds like a nerdy thing to say. You're talking to two people who enjoy reading policy contracts and language and get excited when they find something. So that's <laughs> definitely not nerdy. And second of all, the, the unbiased comment, like that always fascinates me because I'm thinking about going back to the, the law and order SVU when something bad happens. I feel like in the media now with social media and the, and the internet and all of that, it's probably so hard to find somebody that knows nothing about the scenario. But what I love about insurance is probably no one ever knows anything about that scenario. So it's probably very easy to find a jury to have unbiased opinions for that stuff.
1: Well, it's it's true. And, and the thing is, is you know, with the insurance world, it's, you know, it's about how they like you, too. I mean, a lot. I mean, we, we say, oh, don't judge a book by its cover or but I mean, people do. They, they just do. And, and if you're a likable person as an expert witness and you are really trying to I mean, the main goal is trying to educate people and, and help them understand maybe not right from wrong but the right and wrongs in the industry itself and most people really do not understand the normal consumer does not understand insurance we all know that you guys delve into policies and you know that's what happens many times is that you know you're expecting a consumer to read and understand. I mean, heck, most of us read and still have to reread and reread to get an understanding of the verbiage.
0: So yet we expect consumers are able to get online and quote their own insurance and know what they're adding. And then the thing is, you don't
1: know what you You don't know what you don't know. I mean, you know, that, and that's, we used to use that term in the agency all the time, but we would, you know, that was really important because you know i'd say to my my staff and my licensed my licensed sales staff is you know they don't they don't know what they don't know you know you've got to ask the questions and so i'm you know, i don't quite know where i'm going to go with this but it's becoming very important for me i've always tried to help educate through my writing and i do i do write for a couple of the the carriers uh, magazines and but it's really important for me when i do that is You know, I don't want to sound like it's, you know, all fatality and terrible and everything like that, but you've got, as an agent, you've got to take responsibility of asking the questions. And people are afraid to step on toes or to upset that customer. It's just so important to ask the right questions because, uh, I mean, right now we're seeing a huge problem with RCV, with replacement cost values. And I'm sure you guys are seeing it, but I'm seeing it more and more. And and I'm sorry, but the people that are on the end of the stick to get in trouble is the agent, because the carrier really doesn't have any duty to make sure that that replacement cost value is there. And it's, with those unilateral contracts, it's just so important to for the agent to be able to um, educate and ask the questions. But it goes back to what you what you were just saying is that this thing about them being able to get a policy online. I, I don't even get me up.
0: It's going to probably keep me in business for years as an expert witness. Well, let's go ahead and do a disclaimer. You mentioned you're seeing an issue with RCV just in case an agent just perked up and was like, what's the issue? What's the issue? Well, the biggest issue we're
1: seeing right now is, let's say you went in and put a policy in place five years ago, pre-COVID. Well, they're using the MSV, the Marshall Swift uh, system, great system, not a problem. but. Some of it hasn't caught up with this COVID situation with this, uh, our supply and demand, the inflation, our, yeah, our labor demands, uh, all of our construction costs. We're seeing building code standards change within cities constantly. And and they're not, the policies aren't keeping up. And and it's, it's really, I mean, it's not any fault of anybody, but as the agent, you know, what do we always try to do? You know, the customer says, oh, my house isn't going to cost that much to rebuild it. It will cost that much to rebuild it. And so getting a customer to listening, helping that customer to understand it's going to cost more right now, but also to help them understand that if we raise this premium, just, I mean, sorry, the dwelling amount, just a little, it's not going to make that big of a difference in their premium. So that replacement cost value is behind in many cases, not all carriers, but in a a lot of, with a lot of carriers. It's just, it's not, it hasn't caught up and they haven't changed the, evalu- the calculations to keep up. So it could be some of these older policies. They're not keeping up with the square footage amount that they need. So it's just important to go through reviews. A lot of people don't want to do that. But in the most case, if you'll just offer it, if the agent will just offer it, the majority of the time the co- consumer doesn't want to do it, but you've got the documentation to back you up. There you go. Absolutely. What's really interesting is that consumers are saying, well, I thought I had full replacement. It didn't matter. Oh my well, gosh. Yes. So that's No, oh, there's a dwelling amount on that policy for a reason. There's a content amount on that policy for that reason. And that's all you're going to get. And a lot of the kickback is, well, but wait a second. I, I thought you were going to replace everything.
0: Yeah. And what could be
2: confusing, like you talk about educating your clients, is that in our agency we did represent a company that when you hit and you qualified with them, they they had one hundred percent guaranteed replacement costs. Right. Obviously, in the event that something happened, they would pay that out, but they'd come back to the agent and say, Where'd you mess up? Why were you three hundred thousand dollars off? So obviously we did our due diligence to not be off, but it was a nice reassuring thing. Let's say that person decides, I'm going to go over here to the other agency and get a new policy. They might assume they have 100% replacement costs, but you don't know. So it's so important to say, listen, this is what you had and this is what you have now. You're happy with it, but just so you know, you don't have guaranteed replacement costs like you previously had. It's just, it's so important. So many little
1: things that we could be doing differently that would save us a lot of headaches. Well, and they're really, I mean, I, know, I mean, just knowing how much work it takes to be within an agency, it's hard to keep up with everything. Just the the few things like the replacement costs. Don't, do, you know, don't go back into your system and say "Uh, there's two bathrooms rather than three. It can be small things. And those aren't always things that the inspection comes back and catches because a lot of carriers aren't even doing the inspections anymore, you know, or They're so basic and they are the basic things that are on an application in most cases. And it's just, it's really not. I just finished an article that will be published in the spring. and, And it's more about, you know, don't be afraid of the customer. It's not that important to win the business. And I know that's easy to say when I'm sitting on the outside right now and I don't need the business, but I know how stressful it is. And, but there are just times that you've got to figure out another way to skin the cat rather than just dropping your premiums and lose, and, and, and you can still win the business in other ways. Just don't, self, don't sh- sell that customer short either because they will come back.
0: Yeah. I think I've said it before on numerous podcasts. I don't think I ever had a client say that we paid them too much during a claim. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. you definitely had the client say you didn't pay enough. Yeah. <laughs> And they, you know you you can still try
1: there are a lot of great agents out there that are still asking the questions and doing their due diligence, but what's the secondary most important thing is we just talked about it is documentation and even if it's a quick note in whatever platform you use, you know spoke with the customer did not want to increase r c v whatever it might be another thing we're seeing you guys are probably seeing in the market that that i it's throwing me a little bit is as these policies, I'll say that policy is aging out. So uh, the roofs are getting older, the building's getting older. And then some of these carriers are saying, nope, we're non-renewing. And it's so important when the agent is, okay, I know I'm non-renewing and they go out and search for another market is to make sure that they know what that old policy looked like to what they can now get for the customer because of that policy aging out. And then helping the customer understand the differences,
0: Mm -hmm. right? I mean, Yeah, beyond the deck page. No, you got to go beyond the deck page. You've got to really dive into the policy language and understand the differences between the definitions and what your client might be exposed to. The business definition, for example, on the homeowner's policy can vary so widely between different carriers. And if your client has a business exposure that's covered under their current policy, but you move them to something else, just assuming that everything is the same because all the values on the deck page line up, you could really be shortchanging them on coverage. So being able to really understand the product, not just not just the cheat sheets that the carriers give you to show you the differences between their different product levels, or maybe you're doing a book roll from one carrier to another, and that new carrier did a good you know, little cheat sheet for you on what the high level differences between the old carrier and them. You've really got to go deeper than that. That's great advice. And I'm really yeah. happy that you brought up You know, a lot of people would say, well, then how do you advise your client to increase their coverage? Well, you don't. You tell them that they need to increase their coverage, and this is why. But then it's still their choice, ultimately. And the documentation is the key piece to that to make sure that you did your due diligence to advise them properly and they made the decision based on the information that you gave them.
1: Well, and I mean, there's not that many laws to truly hold an agent accountable. I mean, we have our licenses, but. There's not that many laws that say, you know, what are industry standards? But one of the main ones is procuring the insurance that was requested. And if you cannot procure that insurance, then it's your responsibility to tell the customer. A lot of agents do not realize that. And again, it goes back to the tough conversation. You're having to have that conversation. I, I And I can assure you, it's it, it, in the long run, it's a lot easier to have that conversation with the customer Than when you're sitting in deposition having to explain that you knew the differences, but you ignored the differences because Mr. So-and-so was kind of snarky. You know, we all have, we've all had customers that are tough. We just do. I mean, I have some that still give me cold sweats when I think about them, you know, but, but at the end of the day, my job and the job of the agency is to make sure they know what they're getting. And some of them don't want to listen, but it, and that's okay. but. You still have to try. That's the best way I can say is try and then document it. It took me, you know, my first year of
2: insurance to learn this. You know, every new piece of business that walked in the door, I was I was hungry and I wanted to write everything. And then I slowly started realizing that not everybody needs to be the perfect fit for your agency. If you don't typically write state minimum limits, which you shouldn't be, if you don't do that, it's okay. You can tell them that you guys don't typically write this, and it doesn't have to be in your agency. They can go somewhere else. I mean, if somebody, and like you said, the cold sweats, I, I had a guy that gave me cold sweats quite often. And it got to the point where he'd walk in the office and everybody would just walk away. And somehow (laughs) I got stuck dealing with him, ended up being really great guy. But at one point I had to sit down with him and say, listen, if you think you can get better insurance education, better service than texting me in the morning saying you're buying a new property and I'm going to have it insured for you, then please, by all means, go somewhere else. I'm not stopping you. And that backfired because he never left, but it, I mean, but you have to be frank with people sometimes and say, you're not going to get this somewhere else. And if you want to go ahead,
1: you yeah. can't be afraid to say that. No, you can't. And you know what? Not all, no, there's no agent that's everything for everybody. I mean, they're just not, I mean, it's whether it's how you service your customers or the products that you can offer. I mean, there are just times, there are times too where you just need to fire a customer. I mean, we've all heard that and it's hard but like you're saying too, I mean, usually the ones that you that are the toughest on you, but you stand up for for yourself. You don't have to be a jerk, but you say, hey, you know, this is this is not right, or you're not going to treat my staff that way. I mean, I've had customers, I've had to say, you can't talk to people that way. I mean, not around here, you can't. You can if you want to do that outside of my business, you can. But you know, I and unfortunately, I mean, I've had to tell people when you start to pay their payroll, then you can tell do whatever you want to do, but not, not on my watch. And so there are times you just have to have that conversation. And I'll be honest, the majority of the people that I've had those tough conversations never left. Yeah. They never left. We built a relationship with them that most people were afraid to try to build. They do appreciate your honesty. They do.
2: So I think, um, Dustin and I are probably both dying to know. So (laughs) like obviously you can't go into super detail about this because it was probably it was in court at one point but like what was your either most interesting case that you were involved in the scenario or what was the simplest one that should have never got to where it was because the agent just didn't do something that they should have known to do you can pick either one i'll pick
1: the one that probably blew me the way away the most, but I enjoyed it the most because I kind of got to open up the whole can of worms and I,
0: you blew it out of the water. You were like, aha. Yes. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I kind of did. I mean, and you know, for what I I mean, I I'm doing best practices, standard of care and that type of thing. So I'm not, you know, I'm not looking at a lot of times I may not be looking at the underwriting piece of it or the you know, I never, I'm not, or the construction, I'm not looking at those types of things. So for me, one of the most, the most fun cases was when I started getting into it, the things that the agents were saying didn't make sense. They just, they weren't adding up. And it was, was a very small case that really, truly should have been settled, should have been done and over with. But what we ended up blowing up was that uh, agents were using other people's identification and information. Wait a second. What? And what? So you go out and you get a policy and maybe your credit's not quite the way the agent wanted it to look. And I'll say, these, you know, this wasn't I'm not saying this was the agency owner, the agents that were working there. And so you get, so we went so got a policy. Maybe the credit wasn't where they wanted it. Or maybe the person had a few accidents, and so they needed somebody else on the policy to help them be uh, accepted by underwriting. So they do this, and then an accident occurs. And all of a sudden, the um, insurance company isn't going to pay the accident. And what with this particular situation, they were denying the claim. And when we got into it, though, we started deposing what what the the claim was, was that the agent had not procured the insurance that the that the insured asked for. Pretty simple. Let's look at it. How much more are we talking about? And over, you know, really about a ten thousand dollar situation. The whole thing is was blown up and found out that these the agents internally were doing all of this. And so it got much bigger than just a small payout. And it, you know, so it's, it was, and it was merely understanding the management side of an agency, how agents are supposed to act and do. And then when I, when, when I was looking at documents, I started seeing random people on documents and I'm like, what are they related? I mean, how is the connection here? People didn't even know each other.
0: Like, how does one even believe that this is going to work? I don't get it. I guess. Because. You know why they do? Because
2: somebody does it once and gets away with it. And I'm sitting here thinking, oh, it's the way we've always done it. So if I was, you know, 21 years old going into an agency, learning from the seasoned agents that, oh, it's okay, you know, their credit's not that good. So we're just going to throw this info on here. Like, yeah, I might think it's weird. And that might throw a flag up. But if I went and asked two other people, and they said, yeah, that's fine. Then I guess it's okay. Like, I don't, I mean, we understand insurance. So yeah, I'm cringing right now. But Mm -hmm. I could see where that would
1: have a trickle down effect. Well, I mean, they're not, they're not necessarily, but the biggest problem is there's a duty to supervise and a lot of times they're not being supervised. And so, you know, as an agency owner, I mean, you're doing a lot of different things, but I think a lot of it is just holding somebody that's holding everybody accountable, just taking a look and making sure you don't have to do that every single day, but, but it's important to go through, through your files. I mean, I, We used to call, you know, they'd be our customer files and we would get together once a week and we'd go through those. Who's who's working on what? And it took time, but at the same time, I could do a spot check inside those file folders. I could say, you know, what is, who are these two people? And you didn't have to look through every single policy, but if someone was, if one of the agents was doing something in a pattern, they had a pattern going on, then you could catch it. And that's what a lot of it, that's where a lot of it happens. And, um, you know, so that was, that was, that was been a, a fun one for me. Um, and you, it makes a great point too, when people are hungry and they get pushed into a corner to produce a certain amount of, um, you know, a certain amount of insurance or they, they've they got to produce, Pressure, yeah. they get very nervous and, and people that are in desperate situations do desperate things. And, as the agency owner or within within your own organization, you've got to say, you know, again, not everybody's for us. And sometimes we have to step back so that we don't um, mess it up and really do something just out of, well, greed's a good word, but I don't really consider it that. I just really feel like there's a lot of pressure on the, on the um, producers to produce these days.
0: I really hope that after this podcast, somebody, anybody, everybody listening is thinking like, Oh my gosh, we need to put in, in set a process that's internal, not just wait for the next company audit to come around. Cause I, I handled all of our carrier audits that would come in to make sure that we had all the forms in the right place and everything was hunky-dory, you know, all the signatures were, you know, right, you know, whatever. But I hope that somebody somewhere is starting an internal process or thinking that like, we need just, I mean, not to get anybody in trouble. We just gotta make sure that everybody's kinda on the same page, doing things the right way, checking in with our folks and where they're at. You know, that to because you don't wanna find out that somebody's doing something like this during a deposition. Exactly. You don't wanna be in a courtroom with Leslie on the stand because you're going down. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> well it, you know, it's it's usually you know, and all in all honesty, I mean, even with COVID and since I started, um, most most things are settled before they get into that trial setting, you know. Everybody's been deposed. There's those types of things. So it it's um, but but it goes. It's what you're saying is that just processes and procedures mm-hmm. are really not that difficult. But if you have them, also, is have it in writing. Mm-hmm. Have something where if you ever did get in trouble and somebody, you know, I had people, you know, file ENOs. The greatest thing and the best feeling is the whole in the whole world is go. Oh dear Lord, please, I hope somebody put this in the system. And you go back in, and it is time-stamped every single conversation. Oh my gosh, yes. And you're able to go in and say, okay, here's where, I, here's where we advised and here are my processes and my procedures that every staff person is supposed to go through and do and abide by those. Will they do it? Maybe not, probably not. But at the same time, you have it as a business owner and an agency in writing, in your personnel files. And when you get in trouble, that's you, you bring it out. We still did a lot of old, timey things. You know, we—I mean, I—I still—we started to get everything digital and doing the application right online. But I hated that because I always knew that if I had that paperwork, that was proof that I somebody had written it out, and everyone was following the same processes. And and we've moved away from that because of digital world. I know, but I—you know—a lot of times when you go back to try to pull these these archives out of these. These systems that the carriers are providing, it's very difficult to get that information back out to protect yourself. So it's just really following. Having an employee handbook, yes. I mean, yep. I mean, I am astonished at how many agents that I interact with, as they're my friends. I mean, I'm still amazed at how many people do not have those policies and procedures in place in writing and also employee handbooks. And we're in a litigious world. You, you know, you need to do it. It's just important.
2: And it's, and it's so, it's, it's overwhelming, I think, for people to conceptualize because they're like, man, I have to write this whole handbook. No, there's templates out there. Reach out to Dustin and I, we can help you at least get you something on the books. And I mean, I have to tell you, Leslie, I I know you can't tell because of my Botox, but I've been shaking my head and my eyes would have been raised the entire time we've been talking because I feel like a bobblehead. I'm like, yes, yes, all of that. I mean, this has definitely been. Such a pleasure to chat with you today, and I've got like a million things running through my brain. So I'm sure I'll be connecting with you and reaching out at some point soon. Absolutely. This has been so interesting. I mean, this is, I this may be one of my top favorite ones that we've done so far. So, I mean, like, because I could go on for another hour probably asking you a million questions. Me too. But
0: we won't do that to our listeners. We'll probably just have to have <laughs> you back a second time.
2: That's really interesting. So
0: thank you so much for joining us yeah, today. Absolutely. And hopefully by now somebody's put be an insurance expert witness on their to-do list for their career path. So,
1: yeah, well, there's, there's lots of opportunities out there. I'm always trying to find somebody that's really good in underwriting. I'm always trying to find an expert to bring in, um, and construction people, farm and ranch. If Farmer Ranch is very, it grows and grows. So there's a lot of opportunity. And I'm happy to help somebody out, answer any questions to help someone learn next steps.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And everybody that's listening, hopefully you got as much as we did out of this. I'm taking notes and I'm not even in an agency anymore. So until next time, everybody, we will see you later.
0: Toodles. Toodles. Thanks for hanging out and listening to another Awkward Insurance Conversation. If you haven't already, be sure to join the Awkward Insurance
2: Facebook community. We have an amazing group of people on there.
0: And for more episodes, head over to the National Alliance website at scic.com. Now go forth and be awkward. Toodles! Mm, That's awkward.